Hey, everybody. Happy Thursday. Thanks for joining us as we close out the week in the book of Exodus, um, covering some interesting ground again as we make our way through this 32nd chapter, the story of the golden calf. We saw yesterday that um, the people have rebelled, they've sinned, God was ready to be done with them. Moses has intervened and and convinced God, uh, or at least helped God change direction. And now um, we see the third scene in the story. We, we've seen what was happened on the bottom of the mountain. We've listened in yesterday on the discussion at the top of the mountain. Now we see Moses descend the mountain and confront the people. And in some ways, this is a very interesting part of the story. So let me read for a few verses, then we'll get into it. Moses turned and went down from the mountain, carrying the two tablets of the covenant in his hands, tablets that were written on both sides, written on the front and the back. The tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God engraved upon the tables. When Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, there's the noise of war in the camp. But Moses said, it is not the sound made by victors or the sound made by losers. It is the sound of revelers that I hear. As soon as he came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot, and he threw the tablets from his hands and broke them on the floor of the mountain. He took the calf they had made. He burned it with fire. He ground it into powder. He scattered it on the water, and he made the Israelites drink it. Why don't we stop there, Michael? So uh, interestingly enough, Moses comes down. Joshua, you might remember there was a group of people waiting at the bottom of the mountain. Joshua is one of them. Joshua thinks there's something going on in the camp. Moses says, no, it, it's reveling, this word that we've already looked at. And then, um, fascinating, Moses' anger burned hot. This is almost verbatim, the language that was used of God, that now Moses, seeing what is happening, as he lays his eyes on it, it overwhelms him. And now his anger breaks loose, and he throws down these tablets that we've already been told are sacred, they're engraved with the Word of God. And and this is both a sign of how mad that Moses is, and it's a symbolic gesture in which the law of God has been shattered, that the people have broken it. The covenant is broken. The tablets of law represent the law. They are broken. And Moses throws these down, and then he grinds up the calf. He burns it. He grinds it. He scatters it on the water, and he makes the people drink it. And I, I'm trying to think, you know, again, Michael, we've seen some water in the story. There's something thrown in the water, but in that, in that instance, it clarified the water. It cleansed the water. Here, it's the idea of kind of punishment, uh, the idea that they have to, to literally ingest the wrong that they've done and the disobedience that they're, they're, th- this thing that they've made. It's now been destroyed, but it is a part of them and they, they have already, um, expressed their sinfulness over it, and now they take it in upon themselves. Really interesting scene that happens here. The connection that really resonates with me, Clint, is this connection that happens when it says that Moses's anger burns hot because it's such a striking 
change to what we had in yesterday's study. And if you weren't with us yesterday, I recommend pausing this. You know, we'll wait for you. Jump back over, watch that, and then come back here. Because there, it's God's anger that burns hot. Moses, in that moment, stands as the intermediary. One wonders, what is it about Moses seeing this, hearing these cries? What is it about this encounter that inspires the exact same language as God. The idea, I think, is clear that both to Moses and to God, this is clearly reprehensible. Between the two of them, they have the exact same read of the situation. Their response is identical. But what's striking to me is Moses ostensibly knew what he was going to see, right? I mean, he had already been told by God about this thing. He had already stood up to God and called upon God's covenant and God's own faithfulness in defense of the people. But as that intermediary, as he literally leaves the high place and comes to the low place, as he leaves the presence of God and he comes into the presence of the people, there's something in that coin that's flipped that sets Moses off and that his anger is kindled and that he does immediately move to consequence. He immediately seeks to uh, grind this calf and and to make the people uh, literally take into themselves the gravity of the sin that they've committed against God. And Clint, I just think that there's – I don't know if there's a, a whole theological lesson in that as much as – just a restatement in another way, not only is God angry, but Moses is angry. They both see the situation for what it is. Let there be no doubt to us, the reader, what has happened in this camp is a violation of the covenant with God. It's a violation of the relationship of the people who were saved by God. And it is despicable. It's deplorable. The the, the highest words uh, must be used because the text goes out of its way to make it clear that's what's happening here. Yeah, it's, and it's interesting as we read this text, particularly as we get back to the to kind of the aftermath, which we'll look at on Monday. It, it it's hard to read this text chronologically because you know th- this idea that Moses took this calf and did these things with it that that would take some time that. We're going to see Monday, the people are still running around wild and Moses has to deal with them. In a moment, we're going to look at him addressing Aaron and, and uh, holding him accountable. So I, I think rather than try to read this as here's what happened A, B, and C in some linear fashion, it, it's more the memory of everything that happens. It's it's the explosion that happens and all of the things that go with it. And if you've ever had that moment where You've seen something that that just angered you, particularly if it's occasioned by somebody hurting another person or doing something wrong. That that's it, it, that's the that's the feeling here. That's the emotion that is packed into this. Moses is furious with the people, and he makes them to some extent try to face what they've done by making each of them ingest. The idol. And then he turns that anger on Aaron as we continue here with verse 21. Moses said to Aaron, What did these people do to you that you brought such a great sin against them? And Aaron said, Do not let the anger of my Lord burn hot. You know the people, they are bent on evil. 
They said to me, Make gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us from the land of Egypt, we do not know what became of him. So I said to them, Whoever has gold, take it off. And they gave it to me, and I threw it in the fire, and out came this calf. I, I have always loved Oops. <laughs> I have always loved this passage. This is uh I think I don't I you, biblical humor is a little bit tough. Hebrew humor is is a strange creature. But I've always wondered if this is supposed to be funny. I mean, th- this is the th- this is the best example I can think of of a lame excuse in the Old Testament. I mean, I, I, I don't be mad at me. I, I threw some gold in the fire. You know these people. They talked me into it, and out came this calf. And and remember, a couple of days ago, I said, pay attention to the fact that it said that. Uh, Aaron made a mold. You know, we know this isn't the story. We know that Aaron had a role in this, but he doesn't own up to it. He seems to want to be innocent in all of this. And and again, notice that he tries to answer Moses in the way that Moses tried to answer God in yesterday's passage. You know, do not let your anger burn. Um, but this is the this is the mountaintop of of uh, the dog ate my homework kind of stuff. Michael was just, I, I, I took gold off, threw it in the fire, and out came calf. That's not really my doing. It, I can't, I don't know what we're supposed to learn from that, but it makes me smile every time I read it. Yeah, it is striking because the story goes out of its way to be verbatim all the way up to that point. I mean, mm. you have the retelling of, you know, the people who said, make us gods who will go before us, right? I mean, there's this literal quote that we can look back and we can see there's a kind of parody with the story that came before. But Clint, what happens in this moment is we, the reader, see that right up to the point, whoever is gold, take it off. Yep, that's an account. They gave it to me and I threw it into the fire. That's the end of Aaron in the story. Aaron throws it into the fire because the people are evil and that's what they want. And then boom, out comes the cap, out comes the idol. As you hear Aaron tell it, we might actually as the reader be led to believe that this is some kind of supernatural act, that something happened in that fire, that this God came out. But no, the the writer of Exodus, the, the text itself has been careful in laying down all the steps necessary so that we, the reader, know, though Aaron doesn't know, the extent to which we know that this is a lie. And and so, yes, there is maybe, as a parent, I think anyone who has parented can get a, a little bit of a laugh out of that memory that this will raise for you of the time when your kids said, well, the dog did it or my sister did it, or I don't know how that thing happened. And and you, of course, know that there's something to the story. But remember, this isn't about I lost my homework. This is about the people of God rescued miraculously on dry ground through a sea from an army of the greatest nation in the world chasing them. The, the people miraculously fed by God in the wilderness them creating an idol and claiming it as their God and then falling into disarray immediately following having been given the ordering document for their lives, that moment is the one in which we enter. And here, the one who had stood before Pharaoh, 
ostensibly speaking for God, is now saying, well, the calf just popped out. I mean, it's a kind of revealing uh, how deep the brokenness in, how endemic and institutional, that's not even the right word, how fundamental the brokenness with the people's ability to keep God's command actually is. And I think at this point, the writer of Exodus has delivered us, the reader, to a place where we have to admit the only way forward beyond this point is God. Uh, the, the people have showed clearly their capacity to live into this new covenantal relationship with the God who saves them. And everything from this point on, there can be really no mistaking it that even the priesthood itself of Israel, who's going to come later, is going to be directly connected to this kind of idolatry. And, and that is a thing that an astute reader of the Bible will recognize is a theme that pops up beyond Exodus over and over again. Yeah. I, I mean, for the rest of history, the thing that will be remembered about the Israelites in, in regard to this text is essentially as soon as they got free of Egypt, they tried to make their own God. And the, the consequence and punishment of that, which again is still coming. I, I want to be clear about this, Michael, because I think I'm leaving interpretive grounds and I think I'm sort of maybe moving on to preaching grounds. So I, I'm not claiming that this is in the text. But I think it's interesting as we read this, there is some sense in which our idols always surprise us, right? We, we never, we never set out to make a thing that we're going to worship, whether that's money, whether that's status, whether that's success or house or achievement or, or whatever, all you, alcohol, whatever becomes first in our life. We generally don't mean to put it there in a sense that I'm going to create for myself this thing that is going to be more important to me than everything else. It, there is a sense in which as we experience it, our idols do probably pop up that because we've, we've taken small steps to get there until we've gotten far enough off the path that we're shocked to find that we now stand in the wrong place. And, and, you know, if, if you're preaching a text like this or if you're reading it devotional, I do think there's a sense in which uh, maybe Aaron's, his, uh, his, his lie, maybe Aaron's explanation, Aaron's, um, excuse here at least is kind of human. It, it is kind of, it has some truth in it in that. I put these things in my life, and the next thing I know, I had a golden calf that I was bowing down to. I didn't really mean to, but I kind of found myself there. I'm not saying that's what the text teaches. I'm certainly not saying that's Aaron's experience, but but I do think there's a sort of opening to to reflect in that direction that the story gives us. I'm going to just uh, insert that footnote that you just offered. But I want to add here, note how Aaron responds here in verse 22. Um, you know that the people are bent on evil, right? And he he goes on to, to bring out this whole point um, that they are the ones that said this to me, make us gods who will go before us. Because then the people say, 
the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what's become of him. I, I think there's this deeply human aspect to this story that does show how we go to great lengths to play some kind of game of mental gymnastics to justify getting the thing that our brokenness wants us to give into. And I, I think that this happens in a thousand different ways from, you know, a pastor's perspective who works with people all the time. What is striking is not that people do badly, is that every time that they do it, they have a justification. They have a reason. And I think that there is a kind of spiritual invitation in that if you find yourself going to great lengths to give yourself the reasons why a thing should be okay, I'm not suggesting that by definition means it's not. I am suggesting that that generally reflects being on very shaky ground. The moment that you start saying, well, we don't know what's become of Moses. Maybe he's done. We need to have something to draw us forward into the future. The moment you start playing what ifs and I don't knows and maybe we shoulds, but maybe we should. Lots of times that kind of complexity, that kind of making small things, big things is really a reflection of our brokenness winning the day. And it's often helpful to go have a conversation with someone outside the circle, talk to a counselor, talk to someone with some wisdom, and allow them to speak what may be simple and yet incredibly difficult clarity into a situation. Yeah, and, and notice the language there, us, us, and we. we you know, the, this distancing from God, this distancing from from Moses. Um, I, idolatry generally begins with self. There's a pastor along those lines, Michael, who said something like, the sins of other people may shock us, but ours seem reasonable, yeah, it, right. you know, rational. Um, the last thing as we sort of make our way to the close here, I just, and I, I don't know if I've ever explicitly connected these texts, but I think in some ways the last time we heard something like this was way back in the early days of our Genesis study when God confronts Adam and Eve for eating the fruit. Yeah. And, and Adam says it wasn't my fault, and Eve says it wasn't my fault. There is that natural um, try to pass the blame on someone else, and and Aaron here sort of exemplifies that. I mean, these these words sound familiar, or at least they echo what Adam and Eve tried to do in the garden. Well, I I just was minding my own business. The the people wanted this thing, and then the calf jumped out at me. I I didn't really have anything to do with this. You know, the inability to take responsibility for your actions is certainly not a good sign of leadership, and, and we will see more of that. It's um, I'm, I'm not going to spoil it, but Monday's text opens with some lines that seem to indicate that Aaron has failed in that regard pretty significantly. I guess my only final note here is, Clint, you know, just remember – uh, especially if you weren't with us a couple studies ago, remember the fact that the calf is a symbol, a religious symbol in in the opponents of Israel, these other foreign people. That is an important detail in this conversation. Yeah, it's not a random image. No, it's not as if this idea that the calf jumps out is neutral. I mean, it might be for you and for me, because we, we can't imagine the idea of a calf jumping out at us, but for people who have lived in a world where the calf represents another god, another being who has the power to rule and overrule a people or lead them forward, I mean, this 
to whatever extent we said over and over and over again, Clint, that the story of God and Pharaoh was a war story, where, where God and Pharaoh were at war with one another. Here, the people have allowed in the center of the camp, like a Trojan horse, they've let another God run free. And, and that is the depravity, that that's the bottom bedrock horrible brokenness we're seeing here. It is not sort of a neutral, wow, that's, you know, a sad choice that they made. No, no, this is the people welcoming in a foreign God in the face of the one true God. And and that's the kind of reversal that Aaron is not only giving voice to, but he's abdicating, allowing that in. That's the, the huge schism between reality and this sort of imagined world happening here. Yeah, I think you could take that so far as to say not only did they allow it, Michael, they traded. They, they essentially yeah, yeah, said, we'd rather have that other God than the, the one we have or the one that brought it. We, we're, we're, we're switching. We're switching teams. And there's a sense in which that's part of the narrative here that's happening if you understand the imagery of the calf, I think. So um, lots to think about. Really powerful passage. It continues for a little bit. We'll pick it up there in the story on Monday. Thanks for being with us. 